Hey there, welcome to Board Game Hot Takes, the podcast where we give our immediate reactions to the hottest board games just minutes after playing them. My name's Tim. I'm Chris. And this is Steve. And we're going to give you our hot takes on the game we just finished playing, Tapestry. As always, I'm going to give a brief description of the game and then we'll jump in with our thoughts. In Tapestry, you get the opportunity to guide a unique civilization's progress from the age of fire up through the near future, building out your capital city, exploring the world, and vying for control of the discovered territories, and inventing technology that will help your civilization thrive. Each player starts with one of 16 unique civilizations that provide unique benefits and may help provide some direction to your strategy. Your turn will usually consist of moving your player marker up one of four different action tracks on the board, paying the cost of that action, which represents the development of your civilization, and gaining the benefit. Each of the tracks has 12 unique actions to take, and they get progressively stronger and more costly as you move up them. The types of benefits you gain include placing an exploration tile on the board and gaining the resource or other benefits displayed on that tile, conquering a territory to get a choice of benefit that is rolled on the conquer dice, inventing a technology which will provide you additional benefits as that technology card is activated later in the game, moving an income building off your player mat and into your capital city board, and many others. The first player to reach one of 12 spots on the tracks will gain a landmark, which is a larger larger building that can be placed in your capital city, and you'll get resource or point bonuses for meeting completion objectives in your capital city. Aside from taking the normal action turn, each player will also take five income turns during the course of the game, which is a mini scoring phase that provides resources and benefits based on the progress of their civilization, and choose some strategic decisions for the upcoming era. The player with the most victory points at the end of four eras will be the winner. Tapestry was designed by Jamie Stegmeier and published by Stonemeyer Games. All right, let's jump into our thoughts. Now, one thing I just wanted to point out is that if you are a regular listener of the show, you'll notice that Adam wasn't on today, but we do have Steve joining us today. And Steve is typically our fourth player. So when we um, when we play a game before recording the podcast, typically it's all four of us playing. And Steve hasn't been able to join us before, but Adam's out tonight. Steve's going to fill in his slot. So you get to hear a new personality, a different voice on the podcast tonight. And when we're talking smack about Steve, this is the guy we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yep. All right, so let's jump in on uh, mechanisms of the game. And Chris, I'm going to start with you. What stands out to you with Tapestry? What What do you feel is unique about the mechanism of this game? You know, it's funny. I um, This is one of those games where I love the mechanisms to it, even though it does not feel as um, as thoroughly uh, immersive in the, the theme as a lot of games. I enjoy the moving up the tracks because for those who are not that familiar with the game, you're moving up four different tracks in exploration, uh, science, technology, and a war track. And there's some really neat things that happen all the way, all the way along as you go up each of these tracks. And I find, I, I think it's less the mechanism itself than the actual actions along the way that make it particularly interesting for me. Yeah, that's that's my favorite part about it. Yeah, I I think the tracks are really unique here. I, I'm sure there are other games that do it. Although I haven't I haven't played any other games where the actions you're taking is basically that you're picking one of four tracks to move up, and it's I I find this really fascinating. I, I think it's really fun that basically there are you know uh, what is it twelve per track, so forty eight different actions that you have the opportunity to experience during the course of the game. And then on many of the actions, you can pay an additional resource and get a bonus action about bonus, you know, like, yeah, there's a bonus action that can happen there. So I find the, the, the track system really interesting because it limits the decisions you have to make. You basically have four decisions to make on a given turn. So there's not too much, 
analysis paralysis. You know, someone's not sitting there trying to figure out what, what are 15 different things they can do. It's really just four actions you have to choose, but they can be really fun because, um, you know, you have to decide how you're going to use your resources that time. You have to decide what's going to benefit your, the tapestry card that you played that time or what's going to set you up for a future tapestry card. Um, and we can get into the tapestry cards in a minute. But I agree, Chris. I think that the tracks, that that whole system, the whole mechanism of just moving up the tracks and making those decisions every turn is um, is probably the most interesting and, and fun thing about tapestry. Yeah, and actually, let me, let me add something to that because I, I was saying before how the um, it's the things on the tracks that make it interesting. And it, this game really is. It's all moving up tracks. And because that is really sort of the core of the game, when you get up to the higher levels of the tracks, you get these extreme kind of benefits to it, which are pretty exciting. I mean, this, <laughs> the joke when we play is that I always go for space because on the ex- exploration track, when you get to the very end game of that, you end up going into space and you get warp gates and then you get these crazy amounts of benefits. You know, with technology, it's the AI singularity, things like that. So you can get these, uh, these amazing benefits that really just, I mean, they feel great when you get to them. But that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to win the game because there may be somebody else moving up and getting the highest levels on another track. And it really is kind of like the it's the thrill of getting to those high level uh, end of track bonuses, I think, that really make this game. Yeah, Chris, how did uh, getting to space work out for you today? Was that was that super successful? Yeah, I sucked. <laughs> oh no, no, I kicked my butt. But you know what? I, I consider any any game of tapestry where, where I make it to space is a victory for me. There you go. <laughs> personal goals right and um what about you steve anything that any other mechanisms that you find really interesting or that really stand out to you here one of the things i like about this game is that even though there are only four tracks there are so many different ways to get points and that's really the only thing that that matters at the end is how many points you have and so i just think it's really interesting like you can there's just even, you know, on the tracks, there's just so many ways you can get points. You can store up extra cards. You can have buildings. There's just so many different ways to get points in this game. I just think it's really interesting. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I find fun about trying to go for points is the um, income buildings on your player mat. So, you know, as I mentioned in the players ex- in the rules explanation, Every player mat has income buildings on it. And as you remove those income buildings by taking various actions throughout the game, then you reveal spaces on your player mat, which are going to give you benefits um, during the income phases. When you take those player tokens off, you put them on your on your land board, which is kind of a little puzzle uh, that you're, you're trying to fill up and get benefits for. A lot of the points you're going to get is by removing those income buildings off your board and then getting points for you know various things that you've done, so it's it's pretty cool because you could remove all the buildings off. For example, um, the the I forget what it is the gray spaces, the ones that are going to get you benefits for filling in your board. You could remove all the income buildings off there, and then come around to the income phase and get like two points, right? Because if you haven't focused on filling up the rows and columns in your what's it called the little uh, the the yeah it's the, your capital city yeah yeah if you haven't filled up the rows and columns in your capital then those really don't score for you on the other hand yeah if you've really focused there throughout the course of the game and filled up everything i think it's 27 points you can get per scoring space on that board so you could get a total of 3 times 57 by removing those yeah. so you don't you don't only have to remove the buildings it's, that's just one element of it that's something you have to put effort into in the game but then you actually have to focus 
where am I trying to, you know, benefit from this specifically, specifically from the buildings I've removed. And so that is a really interesting challenge and, and puzzle that comes out of the scoring with this game. So that's, that's only one place, like you said, Steve, that you can get scoring, but, but that's one of the things that is a fun little puzzle in it. Right. Yeah. It's really important that your uh, income buildings match the, the areas of the board that you're trying to make progress. Yeah. Now I want to talk about that capital city board a little bit more because we just mentioned that obviously you can get points for filling that board in, but I also find that a really fun puzzle here. And it's just, it, it feels like it could be a small part of the game. And in some games it will be, you know, in the games where you're not really focused on it, it's not going to do a lot for you, but there are two benefits that come from it. One is that every time you fill in one little three by three region, um, which is called a, a district. Thank you. When you fill in a district, you're going to get a bonus resource for it. And resources are are basically what give you more actions in this game. So getting resources are important. So it's always fun. It's always a great feeling when you can fill in one of those segments and get another resource, which is going to maybe get you another turn in the game or at least part of a turn. But then, of course, the more you can fill it out, the more points it's worth. So it kind of gives you those two different benefits throughout the course of the game. But I just find it a, a satisfying puzzle. And, and polyominoes are used in a lot of games these days. Uwe Rosenberg was doing it with Patchwork and with A Feast for, o- for Odin, you know, five or six years ago. And now there's been tons and tons of games that kind of add that puzzle of filling in a board with different shapes and stuff like that. And I like that they did that, that in a way that it, it's just one piece of this bigger puzzle, but it also is interestingly thematic in my view, because we're you know, we're, we're talking about a civilization game that is maybe a lightly themed civilization game, but the idea that you're kind of building up this, you know, this, the biggest part of your civilization, the biggest, you know, part of your whole territories that you control, that's your capital. And you get to see that you get to actually see that develop. So not only do you get the benefits for doing it, but it's just satisfying to see how it develops and try to make that seem interesting and beautiful as you, you know, as, as, as it possibly can be. So I always find that fun. And it's a good example of how there's, you know, as with any good game, there are multiple paths to victory on this one. Like, so this is one where I think, Tim, you had mentioned you get three times 27 uh, if you really focus on your capital city. On the other hand, I like on this last game, I didn't focus on it very much. I think I ended up getting two points out of that. So <laughs> it makes a huge amount of difference. Yeah. But actually, as we were talking through that, I was thinking about, and you'd mentioned the, uh, the tapestry cards which is both a strength and a weakness of this game, I think. Um, and that is because, for, for those not that familiar, uh, the tapestry cards are each round, each uh, basically an era. You play a tapestry card, and that is a essentially a, a superpower that your, that your civilization gets for that one round. And the strength is that it's, it's really interesting. It's a fun mechanism, and it allows you to do all kinds of different things. And, and they're very interesting cards. The the downside of those is that they are not terribly evenly matched. I mean, you can have a, a great game or a bad game based pretty strictly on the, the tapestry cards you draw. I mean, because they can be anything from a, a game changing benefit that carries with you for, you know, turn after turn versus, you know, getting one resource. So I'd like to see them be a little bit more balanced, but I love the mechanism. So I, I've, I've actually heard that criticism quite a bit. Um, a lot of people have complained that that's one of the downsides of the game is the balance with it um, in two areas, one being the civilizations, which I'll get to in a minute, and one being the, the tapestry cards. Now, I agree, you know, sometimes you're going to have tapestry cards that are not as effective as others. 
I also think that is probably what makes this game the most that really provides the most varied gameplay because it it actually does present it, it makes the the motivations for how you go about the game different every game if they weren't extremely different you know if you're going to exploit them you have to really change your strategy so chris you mentioned you always go to space and that's true the problem is, is that if you're only going to space but you're not focusing on what your tapestry cards are kind of allowing you to take advantage of then sometimes you're missing out on the opportunities because you're focused more on the track that you're going up or you're focused more on your civilization where you really could ignore your civilization or you could ignore any particular track that you prefer to go up because you feel like it's the most powerful and try to drive around the tapestry cards. I, you know, I can understand, like I, I've played one or two games out of the 60 or so games that I've played. I played one or two where I really felt that luck screwed me over, where you know, I just couldn't get a tapestry card that worked with any strategy I could see on the board. And I was never rolling the dice that I needed. And I was never, you know, I was just like never drawing the exploration tiles that I needed. But usually I've just found it to be super fun to get whatever tapestry card or what, you know, whatever tapestry card it was and that, or a couple of them, and then try to find, Hey, okay, that one is hard to work around, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to, I'm going to focus my strategy on building a puzzle around it. And I think almost any of them situationally can be strong, but it, it can be situational. And so, you know, obviously, like, it's great if you if you happen to draw one or two that just perfectly fit with the other things you were trying to do and really frustrating when you draw one or two that don't do that. But one last thing I'll say about that is that there are plenty of opportunities in this game, especially in the early game, to draw a ton of tapestry cards. And Steve and I were talking about this right at the end of the game tonight because I I did that. I usually don't. I usually find that just drawing extra tapestry cards feels like a wasted action. So I'll try to skip over those tapestry spaces if I can with the science die or, you know, through other actions. And this time I was like, you know what, I'm just going to collect a ton of tapestry cards and see what comes out of them. And it gave me a lot of fun, interesting choices to make. So even if you feel like you kind of draw a couple bad tapestry cards, I think there's ways to mitigate it. Most of the time, but but not always. So your, your criticism is definitely valid, Chris. I, I think it can cause a frustrating game. But from my experience, it's it's rare that that really you know breaks the game and you can't kind of pivot and, and work around it. What do you think about that, Steve? How is the, how the you played quite a few games of this? How how has the tapestry cards impacted your experience in the game? The <clears throat> the tapestry cards are extremely varied in power, and it's not just based on which tracks you're particularly strong in. Some of the cards are just better than the other ones, but they can also be very much not aligned or very much aligned with your current goals. Um, so I think it is important and the more I play, but there, you know, I think it is important to try to have a few extra tapestry cards, especially earlier in the game so that you can plan your strategies I did not have any extra tapestry cards this game because I drew a bunch of traps right at the beginning. So I was trying to draw extra tapestry cards, but I kept drawing traps. And that was great because it gave me a lot of confidence in the combat situations. Didn't end up needing any of them. So it was a total waste, except it kept them out of your hands. Uh, I would have liked to have more flexibility in my tapestry cards, but I just, I, I had five, I had, I ended up the game with seven tapestry cards. Um, and I still felt like I didn't have an, as many choices as I would have liked. So it, it can be tough, but it is definitely one of the things that makes the game interesting. Yeah. 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 And it's, you know, I mean, that's a, a fair criticism, I think, of any game where you draw cards where there's any amount of luck. I mean, you know, it's 
that that's always going to be the case. It, it at least makes it varied every time. And I've mentioned this before when playing Euro games, um, you know, like if, if that, if tapestry cards didn't exist in here, you know, and, and maybe they could be more balanced, but if the tapestry cards didn't exist with the way that the game is set up, you know, that there would be a guaranteed way to win the game. Like someone could script it out and say, okay, every game, if I take this action, then this action, then this action, et cetera, they would win the game. You know, so someone could figure that out. And the tapestry cards really stop this game from being solvable. But it also probably does lead sometimes to bad feelings because somebody obviously can't, you know, can't win because they just can't draw. They they just can't keep up with some of the strength that other people have. And 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 again, I, I can understand that I've I've I played the game I think sixty five times now, which is one of my most played games of all time. And I've had like two or three games where I really felt like luck did me in, you know, tapestry cards or whatever. So, you know, I, I know it exists out there. I, I think that there is more ways to work around it once you get to know the game than some people realize. But I, I t- definitely get that criticism. Now, I want to circle back to uh, Steve. You mentioned the the trap cards. And this is actually a mechanism that I am not very fond of in this game. And that is the way that combat works. Because essentially the way combat works is that all somebody has to do to move to initiate combat is they would hit one of the combat spaces on the board or one of the actions and basically put one of their outposts in a space where you have a single outpost already. And either they win it immediately, um, they topple your building, which means you won't score that tile later on, but they'll score it. They'll get the, you know, they'll roll the dice and get a benefit for it. Or if you play a trap card, you topple their building, you get an extra benefit resource for it. You still get the benefit. You just don't get to topple their building if they try. That's right. You're right. You're right. So so that's the, the nice thing about it is that it is not that negative when you do get toppled, whether it's trapped or whether someone just comes in and knocks you out. It's, it's almost, it's very little impact on you. Except here's the one thing that I think does really negatively impact us. And that is that once you have moved into a space and let's say that you moved into a space and they trapped you and they've now toppled you. Now they have almost free access to the rest of your territories, right? Unless you, so you almost, it's almost like you have to have a a trap card before you would go and attack somebody else. If you don't, you're taking a huge risk because you've just set yourself up to lose all of your territories and for them to get all the benefits. And, and that just, uh, I think that's the one thing that always, that feels a little scripted in the game. If I don't have a trap card, I'm going to stay away from combat. If I have a trap card, I'm going to willingly go into combat because I hope that somebody attacks me and I get the benefit for it. Or I don't, I don't mind going in and attacking them because at least I can protect myself in the future. Now, the expansion, which is going to, which is, I think it's in retail now, or it's going to be in retail really soon. I think I it adds some really interesting mixes on the trap cards, which I'm excited about because it now adds a bunch of um, tapestry cards that let you interact in other ways. Like, for example, someone can play a trap card and you can counteract that trap or, um, you know, someone can attack you and you have a card that you, will let you back out of the territory and get a benefit for it. So I, I like that that's now been added in, but I do feel like combat the way it exists in the base game is a little lacking and a little um, just a little scripted, I guess, is the biggest problem with it. Again, it's minor because you don't lose that much when someone comes in and takes a spot or, or you know manages to play a trap on you. So it's really not a major deal. Um, it just it just feels a little bit less interesting than I would have liked 
combat in a game like this to go. Uh, Steve, any other um, any other mechanisms that you wanted to chat about this morning, this afternoon? Well, I just I think it's interesting how all of the tracks interact with each other. And depending on which combination of tracks you decide to focus on, their interaction changes. Um, uh, the science track is particularly interesting in that regard, uh, but they all have a lot of interaction. So I just think that's an interesting component. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it is fun. It, it's funny how some of the tracks, like you'll be focused and moving up a track and get to like space 11 and the benefit will be like get points to where you are on this other track. Chris did it tonight, right? Chris gets up to like space. I don't, I don't remember what space it was like space 11 on the science on the um, space 10. So, so he moved up to 10 spaces on the exploration track and it gets you a bonus for where you are on the technology track and he was he hadn't even moved on the technology track so if he would have spent the two resources and moved up there he would have gotten zero points well, you, you know i spent the next four turns boogieing up that technology track so. <laughs> yeah, you did. yeah so yeah that's fun i mean it's it's fun because you kind of have to plan ahead you have to look ahead and say like yeah i want to go to space but in order to optimize that trip to space i've got to invest in technology first and it's they, that's where some of the i mean theme comes in it admittedly it it doesn't feel very thematic, right? When you're actually playing the game, the actions don't translate. Uh, this reminds me a little bit of our conversation on vindication, Chris, because you know, in that case, in that game, when you take an action, you're moving influence tokens to a card and doing what it says. And it's kind of the same here. You're basically moving one of those items up the track and doing what it says. And it just doesn't feel, you know, the action doesn't link to the theme. Um, in a significant way, you know, there, there's there's theme trying to be driven through the names on the spaces and through that interaction between the spaces and how they link and the benefits you get for doing certain things, but the action doesn't really link to the theme, uh, you know, that that much. So, so for example, where we were in space yet hadn't developed writing yet. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. Although it does tell a fun uh, story when you get to hear that happen. That said, uh, you know, even though there is there is not that thematic link to the actual mechanisms in many cases, it's still, it's, it doesn't stop it from being fun. Uh, you know, the choices you get to make moving up those tracks to me, at least still seem like a fun time with it. Um, anything else, Chris, from you and any, any other mechanisms you want to mention? No, I think we covered it. Okay. The one last thing I think is worth calling out from a mechanism perspective is just that there is, uh, what is it, 16 unique civilizations that you start with in the game. And I think they're very interesting. You know, I mean, it, it drives a little bit of direction for you. It gives you different things to focus on. It's kind of like another element of the tapestry cards. You know, the tapestry cards give you kind of a, uh, it gives you kind of a tactical thing to focus on each round while the civilizations give you a more um, strategic thing to focus on over the course of the game. Sometimes. On the other hand, they also, I think, suffer from some differences in what's fun to play and what's easier to play and what's more, you know, more powerful to play. Stonemaier Game has released some updates to the civilizations to try to balance them out, and I think they've been really successful. I would say that since we've been playing with the balanced civilizations over the last few months, I'm not seeing any civilization that feels particularly overpowered. But I do still sometimes draw two civilizations and say that one is just not fun to play while this one is really fun to play. So there's still some differences in what's fun and what's not. And um, I think for newer players, some of them are going to lend themselves to being just easier to jump into and others will be a little bit more challenging to uh, to focus on, which doesn't bother me. Again, I, I'm always, I've never drawn two civilizations and not 
looked forward to playing one of them. So, you know, there's, there's always something to, there's always some interesting puzzle to be found there. Um, again, the, just going back to the expansion a little bit, I know it added another, I don't know, eight, 10 expansions, something or, um, civilizations or something like that. And they all look completely unique and fascinating and different as well. So that'll be fun to add those into the mix and find some new puzzles to try to explore there. So it's a cool uh, element to the game. I think there's a lot, uh, a lot that continue to can continue to be added into it that will grow that that um, development. All right, well, let's jump into the production of the game, uh, Steve. Why don't we start with you? What uh, anything that stands out to you on production here? Well, <clears throat> there is a lot that stands out in this game uh, production wise, but I have to say that the most dramatic of them is the miniatures for the uh, uh, architecture buildings. I forget what they're called. Landmarks. The landmarks. Yeah. For the landmarks, um, they're just they're really cool and unique and. You get to play with them a lot, especially in the the real game. You get to pick them up and touch them and look at them, and there's a lot going on there. But uh, even in the virtual game, it's fun to get the big buildings and put them in your city center. And they're just they're so much larger than the rest of the components that it uh, they have a lot of visual impact. Yeah, so we we played on Tabletopia tonight, which obviously has a pretty good reproduction of the production, but it doesn't compare at all to the physical version. Um, I, I agree. I, I like minis just fine, but most games, when you get minis in it, they're just gray plastic. So unless you're into the hobby of painting minis, it's not that pretty. It adds some size and it adds some toy factor. Uh, I love that these come pre-painted and you just get that, you know, color palette built out in your, um, in your capital city, you know, just out of the box. I think that's really cool. It stands out to me as well. What about you, Chris? Anything that stands out from a production perspective? I mean, really, I just want to—I just want to recap what um, what Steve said. I mean, those those minis in this game are are pretty amazing. I really, there's—it's a rare game that I've come across where I don't think there could have been some pretty significant upgrades. You know, I'm always buying aftermarket stuff. You know, whether it's metal coins or plastic chits instead of the the cardboard chits. This game, I really wouldn't know what to add. I mean, they all of the, the the different pieces that come with this game are of a high enough quality that it really makes you feel like you're buying something that's you know truly top notch. Um, and I think that's excellent. There's enough uh, 3D stuff to it that it's not just all little pieces of cardboard. Uh, it's the the board is is interesting to look at. I really don't think there's much they could have done to improve the the physical production of this game. Yeah, down to the the instruction booklets, the Stonemeyer instruction booklets are always such high quality. Mm-hmm. The the paper and just the the color, it's they're just gorgeous. Yeah, yeah. I want to talk about the artwork in the game a little bit. Um, the artist is Andrew Bosley, and uh, prior to Tapestry, the only thing I uh, that I was aware that he had. Uh, done from a board game perspective was Aberdell, which is one of my favorite games of all time and obviously heavily driven by the production in it. And he did all the artwork of all the, the critters and everything. They're absolutely beautiful. So when I heard that Stonemaier was working with Andrew Bosley for Tapestry, I was super excited about it. Now, his artwork in here is all fine. It's, you know, they're clear representations. They blend with the the theme and everything. But I, I have never been like I've never really super been turned on by um, by the artwork, especially on the tapestry cards. I I don't think it's the artwork itself necessarily. I think it's the fact that 
they're all trying to blend into the background, which is nice. You know, it's nice that they all kind of fit together on your player mat and the tapestry cards all kind of blend together, but they all have that same exact greenish yellow palette. And so the artwork on it doesn't stand out too much. So that was a little bit of a disappointment to me when I actually got to, you know, see the artwork in the production. Technology cards are the same way. You know, it's all orange cards with some physical objects drawn on them. And that was also a disappointment. Some of the civilizations are quite nice. Um, you know, they're very, you know, colorful and, and, and you know, pretty to look at and everything. But I was a little disappointed. I, it's, it's sad to say because, I again, I really like Andrew Bosley's art. I've seen it not only in Everdell, but in some other games since then. Um, and it usually is very impressive to me. And in this game, for some reason, it just doesn't stand out. Um, that being said, it does blend in really well. And I'm always happy to have the game on the table. But uh, I, I, was, I guess I just had higher expectations for the artwork. You know, it's funny you say that because my first reaction was kind of the same, that I, I didn't fall in love with it. And I'm a big art snob in, uh, in games. I really enjoy looking at the art on them. And this, I, I can't say there's a lot that makes the art in this stand out. But I think it's very functional and it doesn't get it. There, there's some where the, the art actually detracts from the game because it's, you know, too cutesy or it doesn't look, you know, it's, it's inappropriate for the style or the theme. And this one, I just think, I think it blends in nicely. It, it adds to what you're doing and um, I'm pretty happy with it. All right. Um, Steve, anything else from a production perspective? I don't know. I mean, all the components are high quality, like Chris already mentioned. And, uh, it's it's just fun to play with. Cool. Chris, anything else? Nope. Okay. All right. Let's jump into our next question, which is, what was your favorite moment of the game tonight? And Chris, I'll start with you. Any any moments that stood out to you today? Man, I, I don't think I had a good moment in this game after about the first 15 minutes of it. There's a lot of there's a lot of great moments in that first 15 minutes, but after that, it, you, you started out strong. You sure started out strong. <laughs> it, it felt it felt all it felt all down uh, all downhill from there. And maybe it's because I felt like I got cheated on those uh, on those tapestry cards, which you probably gather from my my earlier comments. Um, but I, I think you know, it, as as silly as it sounds, it really is getting to the high end of the tracks. And I we joke about how you know going to space is. Uh, I always try to do that, but it doesn't matter which one you do. I assume that everybody kind of feels that same way when you get to the very end of one of your, your tracks and you start getting those incredibly powerful bonuses and benefits and you just feel like, man, I got something done here and cool things start happening. And I just, I love seeing that. And so when I got to space again, it doesn't matter which track it is. It's when you get to the high end of that track, it just, it feels really good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I totally agree with that. The technology and the science tracks always stand out to me because it just feels like you're doing so many actions. You know, the, the, um, net, the, um, exploration track is fun because you're going to space and you get to see those space tiles, but those other two tracks, it always feels like once you get up to that, you know, third and fourth, uh, segments in there that they really explode mm-hmm. you're doing like half a dozen things on your turn. And it's, it's a, it's a fun place to be. Uh, what about you, Steve? Any exciting moments for you tonight? Well, definitely related. Uh, I was able to to get to two, the end of two of the tracks um, and uh, sort of through the same mechanism, which was the science track. Uh, and I don't always play the science track because it's pretty variable in results. It's hard to predict exactly what's going to happen. So sometimes I avoid it, but whenever I get up to the second half of the science track, it's always a blast because you get to roll the science die and you 
you know, you don't know what's going to happen and you get to take extra actions. So I just playing the end of the science dice, a lot of fun for me. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, tonight I had a, almost all of my most fun moments were things where I planned them out and they paid off. Um, and it was, it was almost all around my tapestry cards tonight. You know, my civilization kind of just ran itself. I played the historians and, um, you know, you don't have to do much other than just make it to an income phase and, put your tokens on someone's other ma- other someone else's mat and then get the benefits when you, when they get a landmark. But, but my tapestry cards on the other way, uh, on the other hand, like I mentioned earlier, I picked up a lot today. And so I had a lot of fun choices to make there. And every time as I was coming up to my income turn, l- deciding which one I was going to go with and how I was going to exploit it was, was just fun. And I just, every tapestry card I managed to make kind of pay off in a, in a pretty big way. The final, era i played um empiricism which every time you move on the science track you get two points plus you get to roll the science die twice and decide on the benefit and so i basically i had that game that card pretty early in the game and i basically didn't move on the science track the whole game just setting myself up for the final era and then just got to roll the dice a ton and got to just get lots of points in that last round and it and it really paid off and it was just fun to see that that payoff come at the end so that was my uh, that was my enjoyment out of this game was just planning and and seeing it come together. All right. Um, so, final question: Would you request to play the game again? And this time, Chris, I'll start with you. Yeah, I love this game. I really enjoy it. I didn't enjoy it so much tonight because I got my butt kicked. But <laughs> uh, you know, putting that aside, this is a great game. It's got a lot of a lot of different opportunities in it. A lot of different directions you can go, and it's just fun. I enjoy it. Yeah, I'll jump in next. I also thoroughly enjoy this game. Uh, you know, I played it a lot, like I mentioned. And so sometimes I start to feel like, okay, I want to do, I want to play something different. I want to explore something different. But when somebody else picks it, I always have a fun time playing it. And oftentimes it's the game that I absolutely want to play. So, you know, a game that I've played this much to still be one that I'm like, guys, I'm excited. Let's play Tapestry tonight. Or when someone else picks it to say, yeah, let's do it. That that sounds like fun. It's it's always a, a really fun puzzle to me. Um, so I will definitely, you know, choose to play it again. I, I have the expansion. I haven't gotten a chance to actually play with it yet. Um, so I'm really excited to just add in that content and get to explore it a little bit. Um, so yeah, this is this is a, a go-to. This will be an evergreen game for me. What about you, Steve? Uh, I will definitely request this game again at some point. Um yeah, it's it's easy to get too much of, I think, in a short span. It's not something that you probably want to play multiple times in a week, but um, certainly. Like when, we, the, when I first introduced well, you to it, we played six times in two days. <laughs> and that was a blast. But then, yeah, I mean, it just it, there's a lot of other fun things to play as well. But I would definitely request this game. What, what did you call it at the beginning, Steve? Like the, the most complex game of solitaire or something like that? Yeah, ultimate multiplayer solitaire. Yeah, there you go. I don't know though. I mean, do you guys feel that way? Because it, it did, it did. You know, there was there was opportunities for interaction here. I mean, they're not they're not the most impactful, I think, but there were definitely opportunities. Well, they're mostly passive. Oh, I agree. Right? Yeah. Like, yeah, you put a token on our card that says every time we get a landmark, you get a benefit, and so there's interaction in that you get to be like, hey, I get another resource, but we don't have any control over it. Right. Yeah. I mean, very limited. It's not like we're going to stop moving up the tracks just so you can't get an extra benefit. So there is interaction, but there's very little like blocking. Like it's not worker placement where you can block somebody else. Like, yeah, you might get up the track yeah. first, but 
that doesn't stop the other person from doing it. Yeah. So uh, there's interaction, but it's not, you don't really have much impact on the other players. Yep. Yep. Okay, cool. All right. Well, I think that will wrap up our conversation on tapestry tonight. We're going to move into a special segment now and Adam is back with us for this segment. On our episode a few weeks ago, we discussed our most anticipated Kickstarter deliveries, and one of Adam's choices was a game called Imperium the Contention. And we're really pleased to have the designer of Imperium, Gary Dwaretsky, with us today. Gary, welcome to the Board Game Hot Takes podcast. Hey, Tim. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, why don't you start by telling us a little bit about Imperium the Contention? Ooh, uh, Imperium the Contention started actually 20 years ago. Kid you not, it was the summer of 2000. I had just Finished a year with a failed startup company. Uh, took a year off for college to do that. And I was playing a lot of, with my new free time because the company failed, I was playing a lot of uh, Masters of Orion and Magic the Gathering. And I'm like, you know, there's got to be a way to combine these two games. So like, why, why isn't anyone doing this? And then I went off and had a film composing career. And years later, still no one was doing it. And I took a break. After a film kind of burned me out and I'm like, now's the time. Let me see if I can put this together. It's now or never. And it turned into this. So tell, tell us a little bit about the gameplay. What What's the game like? Um, you know, obviously those uh, understanding that the kind of the elements of Magic the Gathering and Masters of Orion, what, where did, what did you pull from each of them? Yeah, it sort of has these uh, location cards, which actually this is great timing because I just got the manufacturer's sample today and opened it up. So it, it, it's great to finally touch the cards. But it's it's basically these these large location cards, and you, you can move ships and things on them and play things on them, and it combines sort of like some elements of something like Summon, Summoner Wars, where you have these large cards and you have things moving around. It's more tactical, and there's a lot more space, and it's fast-paced, streamlined. It has simultaneous turns. Um, it's really hard to describe without actually playing it, but it's uh, it's combining a lot of things in, in a way I haven't seen anyone else do. Nice. Well, our listeners didn't get to see those, but you held up the cards for us to see, and that artwork just looks amazing. It's absolutely beautiful components there. Um, so from the Magic side, I understand from the Kickstarter that there is a little bit of deck building possibility in the game, and um, it, it sounds like it's not necessary. Like There are some pre, pre-built decks, so someone could just sit down and start playing with it as is. How important is deck building to the experience, do you think? I would say not at all. And I I think uh, a mistake I probably made with the game was leaning too much into giving people the option to customize their decks and making lots of cards. A lot of people just grab the pre-constructed decks, which, you know, like have a thousand hours of playtesting time put into them. Um, The pre-constructed decks are excellent. You can just open them up and they they will be great for a two player game for uh, a six player game or for a solo mode against the um against the Ultima that the, the solo mode is was was sort of something that that grew out of the Kickstarter because a lot of people asked for it. I didn't know what I was getting into when I committed to it, but I'm really glad that happened. It's um I'm really happy with the solo mode which you can get with the deluxe edition. Nice. That sounds awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited that you included that in there as well. Um, you know, especially in a time like this where people are not able to get together as easily, uh, you know, having a, having a solo mode is going to be a great 
opportunity for people to get it to the table and try out the game before they can get back together with their with their game groups. Uh, Chris, why don't you jump in with the question? Yeah, so speaking of the Kickstarter page, you know, the first thing I do is I just go straight to like, what does the art look like? What does the art look like? Because of, of the three of us here, I'm like the you know game, yeah, whatever. Gameplay is important, but man, the art's where it's at. So anyway, I'm a sucker for that. And um, <laughs> truth be told, I, I love the art in your game. Uh, I get the I get this real sense that when you were doing this, there's almost more of like a like a cosmic horror type vibe, you know, sort of like what you see with Alien and H.R. Geiger that, you know, you see things in half shadow and they're you know often suggesting, you know, these, this unimaginable size. And a couple of the examples that I saw on your Kickstarter page that I really liked with the uh, Battle Queen, the Broodmother, the Kurnoth Imperial Capital were just amazing, amazing artworks. Um, but anyway, so that prompted me to look up your artists. And I saw that you had a pretty large art team. And I was wondering, when you started in on this, did you have a vision and a certain vibe you were trying to get across with the art? Or did you just go to the artist and say, you know, let your imaginations run wild? Um, I started uh, world building with this game real early. And there's like, you know, you know, like 10 pages of of just like just literal story for what the world should feel like. And it's sort of a, a dark imperial world where the um, the way what's actually happening in the game is the way you become emperor is it's sort of what's the word for it? Um, when two people have a battle voluntarily, uh, mutual combat, uh, it's, it's like mutual combat. So, um, the Senate chooses an emperor and, um, anyone who doesn't like their choice can be like, I call a contention. And if a contention is called other species may stand up and be like, uh, I also invoke the right of contention. And then a bunch of people are now having a battle royale voluntarily that they decided to go in voluntarily because they <laughs> wanted to be emperor instead. So it's like uh, a violent election choice. Um, so anyway, so that led to a sort of dark tone with the art and for the, for the world and the world building and the tones more, more serious, I think than it's like game of Thrones in space. That's basically what it is. Whereas a lot of the sci-fi games sort of have a more, you know, like like Twilight Imperium is like that too, but but some of these games take a more, you know, lighthearted angle on the sci-fi. Yeah, you can never go too dark, in my opinion. <laughs> Nicely done. Thank you. Um, but yeah, the, the uh, one of the main artists um, who did, did the cover art is uh, Chris Rallis, who's one of my favorite Magic the Gathering artists. And when I asked him to do the cover art, I fully expected him to say no. But uh, he said yes, and it's his first example of sci-fi art. Nice. Yeah, it's, it's really something. Hey, Gary, thanks for coming on. It's a pleasure to have you. I'm excited that you're here. My question for you is this, and you hinted at it a little bit in your intro, but how did you get into game design? And can you tell me a little bit about the game design process for this game Specifically, yeah, I would say this game had about the worst design process you could possibly have, and that I was staggering through game design lessons one step at a time, like like falling out of a tree and hitting my head against every branch along the way, and and somehow I feel like I landed at the bottom of the tree, um, standing on both feet, holding a great game. <laughs> but um, man, has it been a painful experience? Um, I mean, you know, like like it started 20 years ago, like, but I'd say uh, of some sort of active level of design, it's been five years. And the game started out with player elimination where everyone was 
was, you know, knocking themselves off one at a time. And, and then when I upped it to six player, I'm like, this does not work. Someone was just waiting for 40 minutes. Like I can't, I can't have that. And the locations used to be too strong. So the, the, uh, so taking out worlds, you know, was a, was a long process and it just, it, 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 the game grew with me as a game designer. And so I, and since I'm a perfectionist, I couldn't release it until it was, until it was in my mind, like pretty much perfect. There's nothing left to change, which is probably the worst way to design a game. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I wouldn't recommend anyone take on a game this big and like with this many new concepts thrown together and that would require this much playtesting as their first game. It's just, it was a huge undertaking. Gary, did you find, uh, did you find a, like a local group that kind of helped you develop it and play test it? Um, or how did you, you know, how did you get feedback, especially on those earlier designs? I, I found some great local, local gamers and, uh, I, I didn't really start working, uh, more in the game until I had them because, um, it would, you know, you just need to play test a game like this so much, like, like you can play a game like this for five or 600 hours and realize major balance problems on your next game. Uh, so yeah, I'd, I'd say the play testers came first and then I started bringing this out. And as the game evolved, it reached a point where the play testers started, like just my gaming group would be like, let's play Imperium. Like, <laughs> cause they just started in, enjoying it uh, a lot. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's that's got to be a nice feeling when you're not. Uh, it's no longer a chore to uh, to play your game anymore. Yeah. Um. It's uh. Yeah. At first, you find out who your friends really are because <laughs> because that's basically most games start being pretty pretty bad, um. Especially when they're this complex and don't have art. It's it's really weird with a game like this how people's excitement with it and how it grows is like has to happen simultaneously with the art. Um, it's, it's like, even as a, even as a game designer, sometimes I know, I know a lot of the common game design advice is don't get into art first or, or wait on the art. But, um, sometimes even I wouldn't believe it until I saw the art, the, the art like raises the stakes and, and makes you realize that, uh, the potential is there and makes you want to rise to how good the game is looking. Yeah, absolutely. I've had the opportunity to do some playtesting with some games that have been published um, since they were playtested and, and really, you know, high quality productions. And it's such a different experience. Um, it's it's hard to just even get into the the frame of mind of what you're doing in the game and take you know have a relationship with the actions you're taking until you can actually see that theme put on top of it. Yeah, see, seeing is believing. Yeah, builds the world. And and I I think you have to be a really experienced game designer to not have that affect you. And I, I just wasn't there yet. But even even as I, I worked on my my next designs, like I still have to put um, placeholder art in there because it's just, I started, I, I did the graphic design for the game too. Uh, something I never intended to do, but just, um, I just had trouble finding someone who did stuff that I think was fitting. So like I, I now build out uh, probably spend too much time building out the graphic design and putting placeholder art and just making sure that like the UI and the way everything feels is, is right. Cause yeah, it's, it's just, it, it can be really hard to know if it's going to feel right until it looks the way it's going to. Yeah. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. 
Now, I'm curious about the process of getting this made. Did you approach any publishers about bringing this to market or was crowdfunding always your first plan to get it made? I would not torture a publisher with my first game design process. It it was, I don't think I would have been ready to work with another publisher. And they certainly wouldn't have been ready to work with how obsessive and passionate I was with the game. This this wasn't really a game so much as an obsession. A publisher wouldn't want to deal with an obsession. I think I think this game has allowed me to 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 get that out and let go. And in the future, I'm sure I could work with other publishers much more easily. But I, I wouldn't envy the publisher that would have worked with me on on this game. <laughs> what uh, what part of the kickstarting process was the biggest surprise for you? I mean, I guess when I talk about that process, I'm talking about everything from getting it funded um, to creating the Kickstarter to actually going through the production process because you're now starting to get pre-production copies. So is there anything in there that was a, a, a you know much different than you expected it to be? I'd say the biggest surprise by far is the backers. I hear when I talk with other game designers, I'm not going to name names or anything, but a lot of people, you know, like like the the backers are too much for them and it's it's overwhelming. And for me, it was my favorite part of the process because I love hearing their takes, hearing about what confuses them, hearing what they want from the game, getting their uh, opinions. And, and just like when when going to conventions, when when you could actually do that, hmm. um, getting getting you know instant feedback. Um, yeah, I, I'd say the backers were the biggest surprise. How much I loved hearing from them and getting their feedback. Yeah, so we've been talking a little bit about the backers and the Kickstarter process, and I mean, clearly we are in a you know a golden age of game design right now, and seeing new Kickstarters popping up all the time and new games coming out all the time. So for Imperium, the contention, like, what is it that's new and different that this game brings to the table, and the pun was totally intended there. <laughs> <laughs> I I think um, that's appreciated. I think the uh, I think there's a lot of games out there that are combining different mechanics. Like I'm going to take mechanic A and from this game, mechanic B and combine them. And often what you get is a heavier, more complicated game that appeals to a lot fewer people. And I I think what I, what I hope I have successfully done here is combined two genres while streamlining them both and creating something better than the sum of its parts that needed to exist in this form and and isn't necessarily more complicated it's just deeper and it, it, and it's still fast like it's definitely faster than your average forex games um six players two hours i mean that's 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 insane uh yeah so i i would i would say what's great about this game is because of the roots of combining card games and forex games is it's great at all player counts and it feels a bit different at all player counts like um I don't think it has a weak player count, which is something I'm really proud of. At two player, it feels like a tactical card battle experience. At six player, it feels like streamlined uh, Twilight Imperium, um, and it, but but different and um, faster, more violent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's funny you say that because we've had this debate in our group a lot. You know, for games, you know what what is the right balance? You know, you don't want to have a game that's just like you know mechanic salad. You threw everything you possibly do into a game, and you know some people like that. Um, but uh, I, I appreciate what you're saying about that. I personally really don't like that that direction in board games. It's something. It's the 
it's the easy path forward because there's so many different things that have been done. And so you combine mechanics. But I feel like a lot of the times this is not done in a streamlined way where the correct things were taken out. Um, yeah, I, I feel I, adding and combining is always easy, but really figuring out what needs to come out is something that takes more time and, and playtesting. And I feel like it's not being done with some of the games coming out. One of the things that I think you get the advantage of when you're building a card-based uh, game is that you can have a fairly streamlined rule set and a simple to, to teach rule set, but the complexity and the depth comes in on each card being unique and having its own you know, individual rules that it's bringing to the, to the game. So that's what I'm looking forward to with, um, with Imperium because it looks like that's what you're getting as a game you can teach fairly easily but get a lot of you know interesting decisions every turn because there's so much variety in that deck. Yeah. The, the game started out more complicated. Uh, the cards were more complicated like Magic the Gathering, but the direction it took is something more like, you know, more like Hearthstone than something like that, where, mm-hmm. where I realized when you're looking across the table at the sixth player at the opposite end and you want to see what that card does, you just want to see a keyword or you want to see one or two lines of text. You do not want to see... You do not want to have to pick up the card and start reading. Yeah, <laughs> as great as as magic is, it's um, it's not the kind of if I if I went in that direction, it would have been too complicated for for a six player forex game where every card had unique text on it. So Gary, I am a backer of this game, and I was already excited to get it. And hearing you talk about it, and seeing your passion for the game, and hearing about how this was an obsession. I'm even more excited to get this game into my hands. I'm also excited to hear about what's coming up next for Contention Games. Is this, is Imperium the Contention going to be a a one and done or, or is there more planning? Do you have more games coming out? Uh, We have something huge in the works. It's going to be based on an IP that I have been obsessed with for the past three years, a video game I've played a lot and uh, I know other people have been pitching to this company, and I don't know how my game got picked. I think it's because the guy that's that's running the company is uh, he's an avid board gamer, and he's very picky about what he takes on. But um, yeah, we're going to announce something really big soon, and it's going to be a video game IP-based board game. That sounds amazing. Yeah, it sounds great. That sounds awesome. Yeah, we'll definitely be watching for that. So, Gary, how can we or and how can our listeners uh, find you or kind of follow new information as it comes up? Are you on any social media? I am. I'm on Facebook and there's a uh, Contention Games uh, Facebook page. And uh, I'm on Board Game Geek all the time. So if you have questions about uh, Imperium the Contention or, you know, the, the rules or the gameplay videos. Um, by the way, we're going to be coming out with more gameplay videos now that I have the the final prototype. Um, so look for those. They'll be on YouTube. And I work closely with Unfiltered Gamer because uh, he lives pretty close to me. So I often go to him to do the the latest gameplay videos. All right. Awesome. Sounds good. We'll, we'll watch out for that. Gary, thanks so much for joining us tonight. That was uh, It was great to hear from you. It was great to meet you guys. And thanks for having me on. That wraps up this episode of Board Game Hot Takes. You can find us on Twitter at BG underscore Hot Takes, on Facebook at Board Game Hot Takes, and on BoardGameGeek.com under Guild 3804. Tell us what you thought of our takes on the games we played today. We'd love to hear from you. Until next week, take care, everybody. Good night. Have a good night. Good night.